This is the Vandy Sports Podcast on the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Billy Derrick, alongside Joey Dwyer for our Tuesday pod. Today's show is brought to you by The Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland and Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Topics on today's show, as well as this season's baseball content, which, as we know, rapidly approaching. We'll, we'll touch on a few baseball notes today. But the topics are brought to you by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company. They're family-owned. They are a third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located out in Murfreesboro. That partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee. And they now serve all over the South, Kentucky, Northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and North Georgia. And today they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen ice cream. For more info, Visit their website. That's npmci.com, npmci.com, and tell them vandysports.com sent you. Joey, Vanderbilt Baseball loses 16-6 to in 18 innings at Rutgers uh, this past weekend. Kind of a, an interesting result. Uh, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that. Uh, Wake Forest coming up this Saturday. Uh, they will travel uh, here to Nashville for a scrimmage on Saturday. Chase Burns. Uh, coming to to face Vanderbilt again, a, a program that he, of course, is familiar with after pitching at uh, at Tennessee. We'll get to some football notes. Joey Ken Seals is going to start on Saturday against Ole Miss, and I mean Clark said it yesterday on Commodore Hour that that you know we're we're going to keep moving forward with Ken. So I mean I would assume he he is the starter for the near future. Uh, Vanderbilt and Auburn uh, kickoff announced for three o'clock Central Time, not this weekend, of course, but next weekend uh, on the SEC Network. And Joey. I think what you're most excited about, we are two weeks away from basketball season, Vanderbilt and Presbyterian on a Tuesday night, November the 7th, 7 o'clock uh, tip-off. So, of course, we'll, we'll continue to to hype everybody up, get the fans ready uh, for basketball season, even though some of them might still be in football mode. Uh, trying to make that mental switch uh, can be hard, but maybe it's a little bit easier this year. But uh, But, Joey... Today's news is brought to you by The Wash House, our presenting sponsor for basketball season. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time to do the things that you truly enjoy? Let the laundry professionals at The Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry, and their professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh and clean laundry, ready to be put away. Log on to their website. That's washhouseclean.com. Again, that's washhouseclean.com. Or stop in today and get your time back. All right, Joey, let's touch on a few of these opening notes here. Uh, Of course, we've got a big theme, a few big themes uh, for another basketball podcast today, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But let's start with baseball. Rutgers, I don't want to say dominated because, number one, it's a false scrimmage, and and, you you can't take away uh, too, too much from a false scrimmage. Uh, but it's interesting how they played this. Game one, Vanderbilt lost eight to four. Game two, they lost six two, and then game three, they lost two nothing. Uh, but they played six inning games, and I saw where they played the bottom half of the sixth inning. Where you know, at, whereas Joey, if you're the home team, you don't play that that bottom half. Rutgers had tacked on, I think, a couple of more runs in those, so it looks the score was probably a little bit tilted. Um, but I mean, that, that's what these fall scrimmages are about to get innings in, you know, get pitchers up there and just get work in, you know, it's not, it's not really about the result. 
as much as it is just getting guys out there. I, I did see, though, Joey, R.J. Austin reportedly was the standout. And, you know, looks like he, he's got a little bit more power and we know about his speed. Uh, so I, I think they're finding ways to, to potentially try to – uh, replace Enrique Bradfield. You're not going to replace him with, with just one guy. There's not another Enrique Bradfield walking through those doors, but I think you can try to replace him with a couple of different guys. Austin's in the mix there, Humphrey, Hewitt. And, um, you know, you've got speed out there, Vastine. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they attack that. But I also saw Joey Ethan McElvain pitched well. So all in all, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's not an encouraging result, but I don't think it's overly discouraging either. Yeah, it was interesting. I think really what I had to take away was the lineup and also that Vanderbilt, I have my questions about their lineup and whether they have enough power, whether they have enough pop in that lineup. Chris Molinato playing first, I think, was interesting. RJ Austin played right field, I think, maybe left field. Uh, so it kind of gives you an idea of his positional versatility. The scrimmage we were at, he played center field and second base. So it feels like he may be kind of a utility guy, and I may ask Corbin about that later. But I think Vanderbilt's lineup – not being awesome was something to kind of take away from Saturday. Their pitching really was not awesome, but 16 innings or what, 18 innings, 16 runs. 18, yeah. 18 innings, 16 runs. I guess it could be worse. Devin Futro wasn't awesome. Grayson Carter seemed to be pretty solid, impressing people there. Ethan McElwain gave up the homer, but otherwise was pretty good. I think I'm never really concerned about pitching in October with college baseball. It's so early on the cycle, and a lot of guys aren't mm-hmm. even really fully ramped up yet or even close to it. So I don't know that I'm fully concerned about the pitching. The hitting I'm a little more concerned about. I thought it was interesting Calvin Hewitt played instead of Humphrey. I think Humphrey could really give them some things, and I'm interested to see if he'll start on Saturday. Otherwise, not a whole lot to take away. Jack Bolger at cleanup, I'm sure the message board was not super happy with. I think they had better options there. Perhaps Chris Maldonado could be a guy who slides in there, but – Billy, it's hard to take away a whole lot, especially when we weren't there. We'll probably have more on Saturday when they play Wake Forest, which is that's a real opponent. Not that Rutgers wasn't. Rutgers certainly showed Vanderbilt that it is a real opponent, but we'll have a lot more of an idea once we see these games on Saturday. Yeah, and today we'll actually be able to ask Corbin about a about a game and about action. You know, you know, actually ask his thoughts as opposed to you know basically previewing the season, not really having a basis of, of too much. Uh, it was just more of an introduction. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Devin Futrell feels like the guy right now. I mean, Carter Holton getting back to speed, you would guess. Uh, but when Holton gets back to full speed at 100%, you know, you would guess Holton uh, w- would be the ace there. And then it looks like Futrell would probably be the number two guy. Uh, and then number three, who knows? There's so many guys there, so many options um, you know, Laboki, we, we've seen Laboki pitch uh, as well. Uh, RJ Austin, Joe, you mentioned it. He was in right field. Uh, what they do in the outfield is going to be interesting. Calvin Hewitt played in center. Uh, at least started the day in center. Troy Lenny was in left. There's a lot of mixing and matching that you do in fall, and, and especially in the infield as well. The, you know, Vastine and Davis up the middle you know, feel pretty solid there. What happens at first base, though? Do you stick with Maldonado at first base? So uh, it – it feels a little too early to, to, to even be talking about this, but the fact that Vanderbilt, you know, they had highlights available. I mean, there were plenty of people there, you know, taking clips. So um, there, there's there's stuff all over Twitter, and they, they posted the lineup. So no stats, though. Uh, but but this weekend, I'm sure we'll be able to keep track of our own stats and, and Vanderbilt and Wake Forest uh, getting at it, going at it Saturday. And I want to say 11 a.m. We haven't 
confirm that. <laughs> we, we saw that somewhere, Joey. We're going to work to confirm that. Uh, but if you do want to go, um, free, free admission. Uh, I think the only the outfield is going to be available, though. So uh, we'll try to hammer down that, uh, that start time on Saturday. Joey, let's go on to football. Uh, Clark Lee said on Commodore our last night that Ken Seals is going to start on Saturday against Ole Miss. Uh, he didn't say that directly, like he didn't say he was going to start against Ole Miss, but he said he, we're going forward with Ken Seals, hence he's starting <laughs> against Ole Miss. Um, C.J. Taylor is doubtful, so doesn't look like we're going to get to see C.J. Taylor on Saturday. Derricky Wright uh, has been back at practice, so I would guess, Joey, you'll get to see Derricky Wright. You'll get to see Kane Patterson. Clark speaks today, so – uh, we'll, we'll get comments from Clark. 6.30 kickoff uh, down in Oxford on Saturday. Ole Miss is a 25-point favorite. Joey, any any surprise there with Ken? I mean, I, I know I talked about it, and we differed a little bit. Uh, but deep down, I don't think anybody is too surprised that, that they're going to stick with Ken Seals. No, I'm not super surprised. Frankly, Ken Seals has outperformed A.J. Swan this year. and We can talk all about A.J. Swan's arm talent and – all the big playability he has, but Ken Seals has outproduced them this year. Ken Seals has pretty much every stat is better for Ken Seals than A.J. Swan's is, except for yards per game, and Swan hasn't by 12 yards. Seals doesn't turn it over as much, although there's some balls that have been dropped. Swan had some balls that have been dropped, too, and still has way more interceptions than Seals. Seals has thrown less than an interception per game. Those haven't been quite as costly as Swan's have either. They haven't been returned quite the way that Seals mm-hmm or haven't been returned quite the way that Swans have been. And Swan gives the defense a lot more opportunity to make those kind of plays. Seals feels like their game manager, steady hand, and we talked about this a lot, but I feel like you have to go with him moving forward. He's probably not going to win you a game against, say, a Georgia, like maybe Swan would allow you to if he's having maybe a career day. But Seals is going to keep that game respectable, and we saw that against Georgia, perhaps against an Auburn or a South Carolina. Seals can kind of lead them into a tougher environment in South Carolina and keep them in the game late and maybe make some plays down the stretch to win a game like that. So I think I'm more confident with Seals moving forward, but certainly makes you wonder what's ahead for A.J. Swan, a guy who has immense arm talent, like we mentioned all the time, and look to be their future quarterback heading into the year. Seals has two years of eligibility left, though, so if he wins the job moving forward throughout the rest of the season and wins it in the offseason, you have to wonder, what are they doing here? Is Ken Seals going to keep that job and I think there's a certainly a case for Ken Seals to continue with that job and continue moving forward with it with those two years of eligibility and it would be really interesting to see if, if AJ Swan came back in the spring how this would all shake out I think Vanderbilt has to commit to Ken Seals moving forward though and have some conviction in that decision it can't be well we're still evaluating and we're looking at AJ for this week and we're going to see if he's healthy can't be that anymore you're coming out of the bye this will be Ken Seals' fourth straight start, assuming he makes it. Got to make some, make some decisions with some conviction here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joey, it's a good point. I mean, you know, this is a big last four weeks of the season or four games of the season at least. You got five weeks technically. Um, but it's also a, a huge last four games for that quarterback room you know, to evaluate those two guys. I mean, I think you know what you have in Ken Seals. Uh I don't know that you really know the entire picture with Swan. You know, I mean, Swan, we've seen it. We've seen flashes, but we've also seen some brutal, brutal mistakes this season uh, that, uh, quite frankly, has cost Vanderbilt some games, a few games, I think. 
Um, and you just couldn't continue to put him out there. Um, so, I mean, it'll be interesting, Joe. It's a huge, huge last four games of this season to decipher as this coaching staff, right? Do you, do you continue to give it to Ken Seals? Do you give AJ an opportunity? I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll see Ole Miss this Saturday. That's when it'll start. Uh, 6.30 kick on the SEC Network. Uh, you've got next week, though, 3 o'clock kickoff time for Vanderbilt's homecoming game against Auburn. Uh, that is uh, November 4th. So uh, here in a couple of weeks, that'll be on the SEC Network. I think Vanderbilt owns the uh, the 3 p.m. SEC Network time slot. Joe, I think they, have, they hold the record for those. Uh, but uh, they'll have another one, Vandy and Auburn. All right, Joey, let's let's get into it. Our, uh, our guest line is Joey Dwyer, and uh, it's brought to you by John Leffen and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Maynard Nexon advises government contractors on all aspects of their businesses with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Give them a call, 256-551-0171. Again, that's 256-551-0171. All right, today's Hoops topic, we got several, actually. Uh, number one, we're going to talk about some breakout guys. Uh, I, I think we've mentioned, we've hinted at some guys. We're going to talk about some potential breakout guys. Uh, we'll ask the question, can the defense this season be good enough? And we've got uh, some some good numbers uh, to back it up there. How do they replace Lee Dort? Uh, Jerry, Stackhouse, as Jerry Stackhouse at SEC Media Days came out and said that he's about three to four weeks away. Uh, away from what? <laughs> I mean, away from getting on the court and practicing away from being hundred percent, you know, it's still fairly unclear there uh, on Lee Dort. And then uh, we'll continue to talk about Vanderbilt's length and athleticism heading into the season. And then we'll get to a few mailbag questions. So a uh, lot to get to here, Joey. We'll start though with a couple of our breakout candidates. And we, we've talked about a few of these guys and we've hinted at them. Um, but let's name one, like, like let, let's look, look at one guys. I know there's several guys that you probably want to hit on, but if you were to pick one guy that by the end of this season, you say, wow, he really broke out and really helped this team, who would that be for you? You go first. I think the answer for me is pretty fairly obvious, Colin Smith. Colin Smith, basically anyone I talked to this summer within the program or even a step away from the program, if I said, how's summer practice going, how's the summer session – they said, man, you got to see Colin Smith. Colin Smith has done some great work on his body. He's really started to figure some things out off the dribble. He's making plays for others, as Ezra Mignon told me last week. Feels like Colin Smith is really in line to be their breakout guy. Didn't average more than five points a game last year, but shot it really well. Had a really nice offensive rating. I think had the highest offensive rating in terms of efficiency on the roster. So all the peripheral numbers are there for Colin Smith. He put work in on his body. You saw towards the end of the year, he kind of expanded his offensive game into being a little more of an offensive dribble guy. Maybe that continues throughout the year. And I think Vanderbilt's going to need him to be a third scorer. Vanderbilt certainly has room for him to step into a bigger role. He's going to start at the four, I would think. He's probably going to slide down to the three a little bit. Maybe play some five as well. His rebounding is going to be really valuable for them. His ability to defend a little bit and bring some energy is going to be huge for them as well. Really where I look to Colin Smith to take a breakout, though, is in terms of his off-the-dribble ability and his scoring. Let's say Vanderbilt, let's say they played a secret scrimmage in Ohio against West Virginia, theoretically. Colin Smith supposedly would have led them in scoring if that game were to have happened. So (laughs) Colin Smith, I think that tells you something. Colin Smith led them in 
scoring in the secret scrimmage if you can decipher my secret messaging because those scrimmages are really secretive. Um, but it feels like Vanderbilt <laughs> has something here and has a guy who could really take a leap moving forward. And Vanderbilt's going to need a third scorer alongside Ezra Mignon and Tyler Lawrence. Why not Colin Smith? Why not? Why not? I mean, he's the obvious option there. Uh, and, I mean, that was that was going to be my answer. But I'll throw in another guy. I'll, I'll, I'm not, I don't want to be boring here, but Paul Lewis. I think Paul Lewis, similar to Smith, right? I mean, right behind Manion and Lawrence, you're going to need Paul Lewis to step up and hit, hit some shots. And, I mean, you could argue last year was his breakout, but he was, that was his freshman year, and, and you usually don't call breakout seasons. You don't call freshman years, you know, breakout seasons typically, you know. Um, but coming into his sophomore year, I think Lewis can really help this team. Uh, you saw him last year, Joey, hit some really big shots in key moments in postseason games, uh, LSU, Kentucky, uh, you know, in the bright lights in, you know, in, at Bridgestone uh, in the SEC tournament. I, I thought those were huge. Uh, even in the NIT, I think you saw him shoot it pretty well. Uh, last year, uh, played in 25 games. He started in five games, actually. And so, you know, his numbers maybe not, don't pop off the page to you. But this year, I think Paul Lewis's numbers – should pop off the page in a better way uh, for this team if they want to be successful. Uh, and, and for Lewis, I'm not, I'm not asking him, like if I'm Stackhouse, Joey, I'm not asking Lewis to, um, you know, he might play some one, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but Mignon, I mean, the amount of minutes Mignon played last year, I don't know that Mignon is going to be taken out of too many games, especially important SEC games. Uh, now, non-conference, of course, you'll see him get some rest, but, Paul Lewis simply going in there and saying, hey, be our microwave, right? Be that guy for us that can that can really heat us up when we need it. Uh, because you look around the roster, I and mean, Evan Taylor could potentially be that guy. Uh, maybe Colin Smith. You know, you got plenty of guards that can shoot the ball. That's the thing. You know, Joe, you look at this team, there's a lot of breakout candidates. I mean, potentially Evan Taylor. Uh, I mean, you know, Lubin, I, I think, in the post, potentially – uh, if, if Ben Allen Lubin's a breakout candidate, it, this season's probably going well uh, for Vanderbilt. But I'll say Paul Lewis, Joey. I, I'm I'm excited to see what what he brings. You know, is he more physical? Right. I mean, last year he he was really primarily a shooter. I mean, I don't know that he really. Um, I mean, w- was much of a weapon uh, penetrating wise, getting in the paint. But if he can do some of that, man, it, it's, these guards, Joey will will establish themselves at the top of the SEC, I think, uh, at least in the top echelon. I think they're already there with Mignon and Lawrence. But if you throw Lewis in there and you throw Taylor, uh, you know, even Smith, Rivera Torres. So, I mean, you start to you start to establish a pretty good presence there in the backcourt. So uh, I will go Paul Lewis. Uh, Joey, I know you got a few other candidates. Who else do you think could break out? Yeah, I have a few others in mind. I want to touch on Paul Lewis more, though. I think you could really see him step into more of an off-the-dribble scoring role. You saw the composure last year. I think there was a stat that I dug up. I think he had five turnovers midway through January or midway through February. For a freshman point guard, that is really impressive. The composure was there. Yeah, You saw him guard pretty well. He kind of took control of the offense when Ezra wasn't on the floor. So there was a lot to like with Paul Lewis, but I think you want to see the next step in terms of him being a scorer and him getting his own shot, going up stronger around the rim. I think that's something that, Maybe it can be improved. And Ezra Mignon raved about Paul Lewis. And normally, 
Ezra raves about everybody. Ezra knows how to talk to the media, but I think talking to him about Paul Lewis felt a little bit different this time. He said this is a completely different Paul Lewis, and it was a good Paul Lewis in the spring, but this guy's taking a step forward. Even Stack said he's kind of battling with Ezra more than he did last year. He said Ezra was kind of the guy in practice last year Paul Lewis deferred to, but this year it feels like Paul Lewis is really giving him a run for his money day by day. So it feels like the player development there is really taking a step forward, and I think you could see that turn into tangible results this year. Mentioned Mignon a little bit. I think that's a guy who can maybe take a leap as well. Didn't have Mm -hmm. a whole lot of consistency last year, especially through, I guess, mid-January. Probably didn't have a lot of consistency, but really started to get going at the end of the year, started hitting shots, and talked a little bit to him about, uh, I guess, three-point shooting, and feels like that's an area where he could really take a step. Says that's been his point of emphasis throughout the offseason, is just kind of being able to spread out defenses and make shots from the perimeter. And I think if Ezra Mignon can do that and shoot it, what, even 32 33% rather than 25 that looks like a completely different player to me. And if he can have that confidence that he had in the second half and take that from day one and attack, that's a completely different player than you saw early in the year last year. And that's a player that helps Vanderbilt get the, hit the ground running early and be a real threat to make some noise early in the year. Ezra Mignon has the keys to this car and feels like he's finally embracing that more than he did at the beginning of last season. Van Allen Lubin's the other one I wanted to mention as well. If Billy, he's only a sophomore. I think people forget that because he's a transfer. He could take a leap as well. I think averaged, what, seven points a game last year at Notre Dame. Played a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. I think his minutes could go up this year. He's going to have a lot of opportunity. Probably more opportunity than he thought he was going to have coming into this thing. But it feels like he's a guy who could really take another step forward as well, especially with how much he's going to have to be relied upon. You would hope that Lee Dort would be able to take some weight off his shoulders, but then Alan Lubin's going to have to do some things for them as well. So you really look to that sophomore class as the class that could take leaps. Is it Paul Lewis really becoming their sixth man and their microwave scorer off the bench that can also facilitate and do some good things off the ball and even on the ball when Ezra Mignon has to come out of the game? Is it Colin Smith becoming a go-to scorer? Is it Van Allen Lubin really becoming a force down there and becoming a true SEC five? I think there's a lot of things up in the air here, but a lot of encouraging signs throughout the offseason and a lot of good word coming out of the program regarding that sophomore class. There's probably some ears perking up when you talk about Mannion's shooting. I mean, if Ezra Mannion can start to consistently hit uh, some threes this season, I mean, the sky's the limit for this team, right? I think we we talked off air a couple of days ago, 30 35%. I mean – that would be unbelievable for this team, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think for Mannion, Mannion's shooting itself could be a breakout. <laughs> I mean, we know we know Mannion. I think we know enough about him that I don't think we'd really be totally surprised by much of anything in terms of his defense or uh, pick and roll skills, uh, getting inside the paint. But if he can, if he can find a three point game, look out because this team, this team could be scary. Uh, in that backcourt. We keep saying that, Joey, right? That if this happens, if they can do this, watch out, right? It's kind of a – it's like a teeter-totter team, right? But, you know, it, it can be it can be really good this year. But they could also struggle. Like, it's – there's there's a lot of if, if or, or then statements, right? I mean, if this happens, then look out. Vander, Vanderbilt is going to be a challenge uh, to face in the SEC. So there's a lot of – a lot of questions to be answered. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying this team, you know, has everything they need uh, because they don't. And we're going to get to that 
uh, right now with uh, with Lee Dort. Um, and Wait, I want to get to Lee Dort. More. I want to talk more oh, about Lee Dort. Um, I think Ezra Ezra's shooting, I think, will be noticeably different, not only in terms of him making more shots, but I think the confidence level in which he's taking them. I asked him about the volume, and he said, I don't know that the volume is necessarily going to go up, but I'm going to take them more, and I'm going to be a little more confident taking them because of all the work I put in this offseason. I think that's something that's really worth noting. Tyron Lawrence also wants to improve his efficiency from beyond the arc. I think he, early in the year, was more of a slasher and started to get that shot going later in the year as basketball season went on. But Tyron Lawrence is also a guy who I think can take another step. If you can get Tyron Lawrence from 13.8 points to 15 or 16, that's a significant leap. If Ezra Mignon can go from 10.8 to 12, 13, that's a significant leap. Those two guys in the backcourt also have to take leaps, and I think that's something that we haven't been super cognizant of over the offseason, but you're going to have to have leaps from your veteran backcourt guys, and I think with the opportunity they're going to have, they're certainly capable of doing it, but just wanted to note that I think Ezra has taken a bit of a mechanical change, not a whole lot. I think it's more so just reps, but did mention something with mechanics, nothing specific, but just wanted to note that and provide some some of what I heard last week, but Shooting's an emphasis point for both of them, which I don't know if you love to hear that both guys feel like they need to improve their shooting heading into their last year when they consider themselves the best backcourt in the country. But uh, I do think there's room for them to step up there, and there's a lot of speed in that backcourt and pair that with better shot making. I think you have something really special. Billy, sorry to interrupt, but I had some thoughts. No worries. Joey, uh, last season, Tyree Lawrence shot 36% from three. Ezra Mignon shot 25% from three. So, I mean, in Tyron, Tyron doesn't – that percentage doesn't really have to go up too much. Uh, if it does, good for Vanderbilt. For Ezra Mignon, that's the key number. If he can get his up to at least 30%, dangerous. I mean, you, you just – because those are three-point makes, right? They're not – they're not two-point two makes, right? That, that's another point that you're getting. Uh, every time he makes it. So, uh, that, of course, that, that that's something to watch as well. All right, Joey, let's get to the, the Lee Dort news. Uh, and I, I saved that defense question because we've got a lot of defensive numbers uh, coming up here in a second. So let's get to Lee Dort and, and the significance uh, of the news we heard. Um, how, and the question I pose here, Joey, what you pose, is how do they replace Lee Dort? Um, and, and it's interesting, at SEC Media Days, you were there. I think you got this quote out of <laughs> Stackhouse. I think you got, got quotes out of everybody, the important ones that Vanderbilt fans care about. Um, but Stackhouse, I thought it was interesting, said he's probably three or four weeks away. Uh, we're hoping that he's ready to go by opening day. We're not going to force it. I think it's more important for us to be smart, not have any setbacks. Really, if we could have him at full throttle by SEC play, I think that would be more of a realistic goal. If he's ahead of schedule, able to participate in some of the early season games, non-conference games, then so be it. So three to four weeks, Joey. Now, what that means, that could mean nothing. Right? I think just hearing a number, though, uh, you know, it is, is nice probably for Vanderbilt fans uh, to hear. You know, you, you have some, some sort of a timetable there. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, towards the end, the end of Stackhouse's comments about Dort's injury – he said, I think we have the depth and the ability to play some versatile styles that we can do without him for right now. But he's definitely a big body 
that that we need just from a rim protection standpoint, just his overall presence. He's a good player, and I know he's anxious to show that. And, Joey, we've talked about this, and, and I mentioned this in, in one of my takeaways uh, in, in my piece after media days. You know, it's been tough for Lee Dort to get work in this offseason. I mean, it just ha- it's, it's been a tough offseason. Um, and, and for him, Joey, they're, they're going to struggle – without Dort in the post. Now, they've got Van Allen Lubin, of course, transfer from Notre Dame. They've got Tassos Comateros, transfer from South Dakota. But, I mean, Joey, other than that, you're looking at some freshmen. You know, I mean, you're looking at Carter Lang, potentially J.Q. Roberts, maybe playing smaller with Colin Smith. And Stackhouse knows it. I felt in that – watching the video, they know they're thin there. I mean, it's pretty obvious to to see that. Um so for Lee Dort to get back sooner rather than later will be big. But but if he's not able to get back until SEC play, you still got that adjustment period of a couple of weeks. I mean, and then you got to jump into SEC play. I think the earlier they get him back, Joey, the better because that front court, they need some time with him on the floor to, to readjust and get used to, you know, kind of that SEC speed we talk about. Totally. Here's the thing with Lee Dort. They're going to have to rely on Lee Dort more than I think they would like to have to rely on Lee Dort. And that's kind of a testament to how this roster is built. It's built towards more of a small ball approach. And Lee Dort is their most physically imposing big man. He's their best shot blocker. I don't think he's their best post star. I think that's Van Allen Lubin. But there's a lot to like with Lee Dort. You haven't seen it in prolonged stretches yet, though. And I think that's something that Vanderbilt is really not super excited about. I think they would love to have Lee Dort throughout a lot of SEC play and have him be a complimentary piece that can eat some minutes. And I think that's really my hope with Lee Dort for them at this point is that he can eat some minutes. Let's say best case scenario, Van Allen Lubin takes a leap. He stays out of foul trouble, plays 25 minutes a game. He's a beast, right? Van Allen Lubin's probably not going to play more than that 25 minutes a whole lot. It's just hard for bigs by nature in the SEC to do that, especially when you're only 6'8", playing the five as a young guy. So you'd hope you can get 25 out of Van Allen Lubin. Without Lee Dort, and I guess you, you might have Lee Dort from, from opening night, what I generally think of when Stacks is three to four weeks is that's when he'll be live. That's when he'll be practicing going five on five. That doesn't mean he's necessarily in game shape or shape to play more than a few minutes or in shape to bang bodies or whatever down low. So I would guess that Lee Dort's not able to eat a whole lot of minutes early, and that's a little scary for me. Where I think those minutes go – I guess he's turned to Tassos Comateros at the five, who's undersized. I don't know if he can guard the five, but gives you an element of floor spacing there. I think he can do some nice things for you and kind of give you a different look offensively than Lubin does. Maybe that's valuable early in the year against some of those smaller teams. Colin Smith also could give you a different look there. I think Colin Smith could be a guy who could play small ball five, especially at other schools. I think that would be more of a thought than it is at Vanderbilt. They've kind of wanted him to play the three, it's felt like, more than – Uh, I guess I have, but Smith, I think, is a guy who could be a little suitable at the five. I don't think that's his best utilization. I think he has some more ability elsewhere, but he has the physicality to at least kind of hold his own. He can rebound it. I like that more than Roberts just because Smith can shoot it better. And if you're going to commit to a small ball lineup, you have to have a guy who can spread the floor and open up driving lanes and such. And I think Vanderbilt can do that with Smith at the five. So I don't hate that. I also don't think that they're in an ideal spot defensively with 
Smith or Comateros. What I want to ask Stack about is how much he thinks they can hedge. Because I think if they can hedge with Smith and they can hedge with Comateros, then they can really do some good things. Lang's also a guy bringing up. Yeah. I think generally what you would want with that, I guess, more athletic, versatile lineup. Because, Joey, look look back. You, you talk about hedging. Think about teams like in Alabama. You remember how much they hedged with their athletic four and five men? Like, that is – I mean, they hedged against Vanderbilt, right? LSU, I think, is a team that hedged with uh, – who was their four guy that destroyed Vanderbilt last year? K.J. Williams? Yeah, with K.J. I mean, Vanderbilt doesn't have a K.J. Williams. They don't have – I mean, Alabama – they. Like the the four man and the five men this year in the SEC, you know it, Joe. You've seen it. They're athletic freaks. So and they can hedge with all of them. That's a good point. If Vanderbilt can hedge on those screens, that that alleviates a little bit of this. Not all of it, but if they can't, all of a sudden, like you said, scary proposition. Yeah, I think they really would love to have a longer, more athletic, versatile defense. And I think we'll get to that later, but. Lubin, I think, provides that a little bit. He can get out and hedge and make some plays mm-hmm. on the perimeter. Also, you look at Colin Smith doing that at maybe the four or the five. That helps you a lot. Maybe Vanderbilt can force some more turnovers by being aggressive and attacking ball handlers. And I think that's maybe the advantage to not having Lee Dort. He's going to have to play a lot of drop coverage. And he hedged a little bit last year at the end of the year, but ideally you'd want him to be a dropper. So Vanderbilt's going to be more aggressive without Lee Dort, and they're probably going to do some things they wouldn't do with him on the floor, but obviously you need his rebounding. You need a shot blocking. You need him to eat some minutes uh, as a true five against some of the fives in the league. Although there aren't, I guess, the same level of fives that there have been. Vanderbilt's going to struggle with a lot of these guys, though. Aaron Bradshaw comes to mind. Tolu Smith, guys we've brought up before, but it's going to be difficult. Carter Lang, I'm not sure, is fully ready. He's probably going to have to eat some minutes. Comateros has his flaws, especially at the five. He'll probably have to eat some minutes there, and then they'll have to go small at times with Colin Smith or J.Q. Roberts at the five. And I don't know if I love either of those options. I'm sure they don't either. So it'll be interesting, Billy, but I think the theme of athleticism and versatility kind of comes to mind there again. Yeah, and, and the theme of physicality, right? The SEC is a physical league, Joey. They're arguably the best league coming into the season. Um, I think in, in the opening AP Top 25 poll, they had five in the top 25, most out of any any league. So this is an even better – it keeps getting better. It's crazy uh, how, how, how better um, – how much better the SEC has been getting over the years. So it's physical. And right and, – and at times last year, very, uh, Joey, I thought Vanderbilt uh, – I thought they – not, not super often. I thought they were a, a fairly physical team last year, right? They didn't – I don't think they really got bullied too much. Uh, even at home against Tennessee, a lot of the talk going into that one was that Tennessee's a physical team. You know, Vanderbilt might keep it close, but late in the game, Tennessee will pull away. Vanderbilt hung tough, right? I think in the SEC tournament, LSU, I mean, known to be a pretty physical team, handled them, handled Kentucky, who we know. They're probably maybe more finesse, but I just think if, if, if Vanderbilt in the paint can find ways – to to be physical, whether it's I'm not playing I'm not saying rough and tough right? I'm not I'm not saying playing dirty, but there's a little bit of that to in the SEC. I mean there's there's a little bit bit of that edge that you need to have uh, in the SEC, especially at the four and the five spot. So 
you talk about length and athleticism as much as they need that, Joey. I think a lot of it, especially in the SEC, is just pure physicality. Uh, now, not making tackles out there, right? but but being able to to hold up, you know, in the second half. It's like football. Can you hold up in the fourth quarter? Uh, you know, physically wise, physicality wise. So, uh, of course, Lee Dort, Joey. We'll see. We'll we'll see. I, I, I'm excited, just like you, to talk to Stack for the first time, which I think would would it be next week, or or not no until idea, not till game we'll week. See. We'll see. I thought you, I thought you would know, uh, Mr. Dwyer, but no, it, it'll be interesting to talk um, to Stack about a lot of these these different things, right? Maybe get an update on Dort, uh, get an update on uh, on some other things about you know Manion and Lawrence's shooting. So we're we're also waiting to get word uh, from Stackhouse as well. All right, question here, Joey, for you: Can the defense this year be good enough? And uh, I think we've got we've got. Uh, math equation answers uh, in terms of numbers here. But uh, I, yeah, I want to I mention a few things here, Joe. Last year, opponents averaged 71.5 points per game. That's not great. It's not, it's not rock bottom. It's not awful, but it's not great. Uh, for reference, Especially Tennessee – the they play that. Exactly. For reference, Joey, Tennessee, who is considered a great defense, I mean, under Rick Barnes, they've, their numbers have been un, unreal – they gave up just 58 points per game, right? Vanderbilt's given up almost 72 last year. And also, they got, Joey, they gave up 80-plus points, more than 80 points in eight games last year. I, I just I think that's too high, especially playing in the SEC. Now, a lot of those were in the non-conference, but that's something to watch for, right? Vanderbilt keeping teams in the 60s and 70s uh, is going to be important. Their adjusted defensive efficiency last season was 97, according to Ken Pomeroy. That's that was 114th in the country, out of all 360 Division One programs. Again, not great, right? You'd like to you'd like to break 100 at least there, uh, especially in the SEC. It's filled with great defenses. You've got to have a great defense, especially if you want to make uh, the SEC tournament. Uh, maybe not great, but you've got to have a a better defense than Vanderbilt showed last year at times. But, Joey, what I want to hint at is the takeaways, right? Vanderbilt just didn't really cause turnovers last year. Um, they averaged five steals per game, second to last in the SEC. They were in front of only South Carolina. That has to be higher. They only forced 368 turnovers throughout the season. That's, again, second to last in the SEC in front of only Florida. They're last in the conference with, with only 10.8 turnovers forced per game. So – that's got to change, Joe. I mean, you'd like to be in that upper half of the league in, you know, active hands, creating takeaways, uh, or I guess they're called turnovers in basketball. I'm so used to football. Creating those turnovers and getting points off of them, right? I mean, I can see this team being pretty active defensively with Mignon, Lawrence. How does Lewis step up defensively? Colin Smith, Lubin uh, as a potential rim protector. But in that backcourt, Right, getting steals and getting out and running, right? And I, I just I look at that as as something that this team uh, could pride themselves on, right? Having that defense kick off the momentum for your team, right? Anytime defense is is starting momentum and starting runs, especially in basketball, Joey, as, as you well know, that's usually a good sign. I mean, think about FAU last year, um, specifically in that Tennessee game, and and. 
as they kept going on that run, they were really a defensive first team. They would trap, they would play, they would throw different defenses on you, and they would use their defense for momentum and for points. I think Vanderbilt, I don't think Vanderbilt has to rely on that, but I think they need that. I think they're going to be a team because of their lack of post presence. They're not going to be able to throw it in the post and say, hey, Van Allen Lubin, go get me a bucket, you know, or Lee Dort, go get us a bucket, right? To replace that, I think turnovers turning into points, specifically in that backcourt, Joey, I think they'll be able to trap uh, at times with guys like Mignon and Lawrence. And those are athletes, man. Like the, the, those are guys that Stackhouse really likes to use, I think, in that way. Paul Lewis, maybe, even Rivera Torres, Joey. I look at Rivera Torres as potentially a down the stretch of this season. I, it's weird saying defensive specialist, but you know, say you need a trap. You need you're down six, a minute left. Rivera Torres is six five, right? Joey, I mean six four, six five. Lower than that. I think six six. six, six seven. Well, I mean, he, that's a long kid out there. He's athletic. I think that so they've got some defensive options. You mentioned the length and athleticism. We're going to recognize that pretty quick uh, with with this team. So defensively, you got to get turnovers, Joe. I mean, can they be better? Yeah, they they, they can be better, but can can they be good enough? Right? Is is better than last year enough? Because they were not very good last year. So just being better than last year for this team. I don't know that that's enough. I think they have to be significantly better uh, defensively, Joey, if they want to make the NCAA tournament. Now, there's a lot of luck involved in a lot of these games, especially late. Uh, and you could say shot-making is more important. But, Joey, end of the day, defensive defensive efficiency is, is still pretty important. And uh, there's some guys that need to step up and play better than they did on the defensive end last year. I'm really glad you brought up turnovers because I think that's probably the area where I- – I think they take the biggest leap defensively. Stackhouse has always wanted to kind of put pressure on opposing ball handlers. He's always wanted to mm-hmm. be more aggressive defensively than he has been. I just don't think he's ever had the personnel to do it. There's a lot of guys who weren't long enough, weren't athletic enough for their positions. I feel like now, even if his group doesn't grade out Super Bowl defensively right now, I think he has more of the horses to be able to play the styles that he wants. It feels like he has athleticism really There's all upside over the there. Court. Yeah, so you look at the guards, Tyron Lawrence, Ezra Mondeon, two really athletic guys who are fast and can get out in pressure. Lawrence has a lot of length. You look at the small forward, Evan Taylor, he was their best guy defensively last year in terms of how they graded out points per 100 possessions, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think Vanderbilt also has the bigs to do that as well with Van Allen Lubin, kind of getting out and being able to hedge off ball screens, maybe being a little switchable as well. Colin Smith can be switchable at the four. There's a lot of length and athleticism here, and I think Vanderbilt could maybe attack a little bit more than it has in the past. Certainly has more of the personnel to be able to do it. The microcosm of that for me is Malik Presley and J.Q. Roberts. They're two freshman wings besides Jason Rivera-Torres. Those are the two most athletic and long guys on the roster who I think have perhaps the highest defensive capability. Those guys aren't even really playing yet. So those guys are both two that I look at and just say, man, Stackhouse has a lot more in terms of at least switchability and versatility than he has in the past. And I think you could see that reflected in the turnovers, maybe not them being a top five turnover team in the league, but also not being last in the league like they were last year. I think that was a great stat you brought up right now. They're 114th in Ken Palm defensive efficiency, and maybe the turnovers could boost that a little bit. I think part of the reason they're so low is because they struggle to force really any turnovers. 
Billy, hand it back mm-hmm. to me in a second with the grades, but what do you think? Oh, you back, Joey? Yeah, you got me? Yeah, I got you. Go ahead. Okay, what what I, I missed your question. I just said, what do you think about the defense as a whole? Oh, yeah, as a whole, I mean, Joey, you, I don't think they were as bad. You know, we say all the time numbers don't lie, uh, but I think the numbers, I mean, they were true, let's face it. But I, I still don't think they were as bad of a defense as it looks and as the numbers might show. Uh, because you look at a lot of the non-conference games. Uh, Temple, you know, they, it was, they gave up 87 points to Temple. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get into SEC play. Vanderbilt was giving up some points, right? I mean, 85 in a loss at Missouri, 84 uh, against Arkansas. That was a win. 82 at Georgia, 101 at Alabama. We That 101, I mean, you take that out, it's probably, you know, a few point difference there in, in the uh, the the final point total for Vanderbilt. So that that probably hurt the, the efficiency as well. Um, but down the stretch in, in their winning streak, Joey, the def- the defense improved. I mean, in those home games, especially, this was a defense that that I thought was creating turnovers and was active, just not not consistently enough, right? I mean, you've got to. I mean, look at Tennessee. Look at some of those. Really good defenses. Alabama was a great defense last year. Um, I mean, the, the teams like that that are athletic enough to do the things they do defensively, it shows. I mean, it shows in their record. It shows in their stats, and it shows in their consistently their consistency in getting to the SEC, uh, not SEC, NCAA tournament, right? So it's got to be better, Joe. As a whole, I mean. I, I just look at their ability to potentially create turnovers and a high volume of turnovers in the backcourt. Um, I think that's going to be really important. And again, I like Rivera Torres, uh, maybe not offensively yet uh, as a huge weapon, but defensively, I think, I think that's where a guy that you can look at as a guy that, Oh, there's a t- turnover force by Rivera Torres. Right. And, and, and all of a sudden Vanderbilt has momentum. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting, Joey. Uh, this this defense is huge. I mean, how they improve from last season uh, is going to be huge. So, yeah, it, it's going to be huge. But, you know, lastly here, and we've talked yeah. about Vandy's length. Yeah, go ahead. I got some numbers for you, Billy. <laughs> I, came, I came with my math today. So, Vanderbilt's Chris, – Chris actually got me these, so shout out to Chris. Chris graded out every player in the SEC defensively per 100 possessions, how many points they gave up. You look at Texas A&M, most of their guys sat around 100 points per game. Tennessee had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six in the 80s. South Carolina had guys around 110 hovering generally, so that kind of gives you an idea as to where the rest of the league was, the top of the league versus the bottom. Here's where Vanderbilt was. Ezra Vanyod, 110 points per 100 possessions. Tyron Lawrence, 107 points per 100 possessions. Evan Taylor in the Patriot League, 100 points per 100 possessions. Tassos Comateros in the Summit League, 111 points per 100 possessions. Colin Smith, 112. Ben Allen Lubin in the ACC, 108. Paul Lewis, 109. Lee Dort, 103. Billy, not good. And I think those mm. numbers don't 
full, fully tell the story. I think Ezra Magnon and Tyron Lawrence had to face some really good players. And obviously those numbers are a little inflated by pace. I think Vanderbilt kind of had a middling pace, a lot of half-court offense. They weren't running up and down, so those numbers don't look awful. But they also didn't slow the game down, so they weren't really affected that way. But obviously not good. I wanted to touch on the turnover thing a little bit too. Obviously they have length and athleticism that we brought up. Here's where I want to be a negative Nancy. Mississippi State had all that last year and didn't excel in SEC play on the defensive end a whole lot. They were really good and Ken Palm and such. But when it really mattered, teams that are really good don't turn the ball over no matter what kind of pressure's on them. You saw with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt didn't turn the ball over a whole lot against long and athletic teams towards the end of the year. So you can only rely on that so much. You have to be able to guard in space, and you have to be joined at the hip defensively, and I think that's where Vanderbilt concerns me a little bit. You have the athletes. You have the length. However, that only gets you so far. Great teams like Kentucky, I guess maybe they'll be a little more susceptible to turnovers this year because they're freshmen. Tennessee's not going to turn it over a whole lot. Auburn, probably not going to turn it over a whole lot. I guess Wendell Green might a little bit. But my point is you can't out-athlete SEC teams if you're Vanderbilt. You have to be able to play to a scheme and play to an identity defensively. And that can't just be pressing and forcing teams to throw the ball all over the yard like you had in the past or like some mid-majors can get away with. These guards are too good in this league. And that's kind of my point here. Wade Taylor's not going to turn it over. 10 times just because you put ball pressure on them and have athletes. They're going to be able to navigate that. And Vanderbilt has to have something it can fall back on. Those numbers to me don't quite indicate that you can do that. Their only guy who was close to 100 points per game was Evan Taylor, and he played in the Patriot League and was longer and more athletic than everybody. Lee Dort, also a really small sample size there. So, Billy, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, and, and, and you should be. I mean, uh, that's a big proving ground, big proving opportunity uh, for this team this year. They've got to be better defensively. They just have to. Uh, Joe, you ready for the mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Brought to you by Sutherland and Belk, longest-running sponsor of VandySports.com. So uh, if if you or a loved one uh, has been hurt or in an accident, give them a call. That's Taylor or Russell, 615-846-6200. Again, that's 615 846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, Joe, we got a few to get to here. First from Mr. Vandy. What do you guys think of the potential of Isaiah West? Joey, go ahead. First of all, Billy, you might be the best ad reader on YouTube. I love it. Never a mispronunciation, never a stutter. Best in the the league. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Isaiah West. I don't know that he's a guy with a Tyron Lawrence-like ceiling. I think he could be a really good player for them eventually, though. I think he defends really well. He has kind of that blue-collar toughness to him, and I think Stackhouse really appreciates that. What I was really struck by this year when I went to see him play at Good Pasture was his passing ability. He's not going to blow you away as an off-the-dribble scoring threat. I think this year he'll probably look like maybe a little bit of a dumbed-down version of Paul Lewis offensively. Um but I think he can do some good things by the time he's an old guy. He'll be able to play to some strengths. And hopefully by that point, for his sake, he'll be able to be kind of the starting point guard and will be able to get in the lane and make some plays. I think his passing ability is really valuable as well as his defense. How much the offense can come along will really determine how much of that ceiling he gets to. 
I don't know that he's an NBA type guy, but I think he could be a good college player if he sticks around for four years and does some good things for him. Yeah, I think he he is a perfect program uh, builder type of guy, right? That that you know we might look at and we probably will. I mean, you know, he's a Nashville kid, uh, played at Good Pastor, had a long successful career there, um, and you know he's a smart kid, right? He he is a he's a kid that that likely values that Vanderbilt education, um, and he wants he he likely wants to stay home. Uh, I don't know that he'll make any real impact this year, um, and and maybe not a ton next year. But year three, year four, Joey, I think is when you really can see uh, an impact uh, from Isaiah West. And um, you know, year two, I think, yeah, he'll, he'll be in the rotation. Now we don't know who will be here. We don't know who will have left. Um, and Stackhouse, I mean, let's face it, the the retention of of, of high school recruits has not been great. But I think Isaiah West potentially could be a kid that does stick within the program and 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 enjoys it. I mean, he's in his 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 home city. Uh, he had offers from Ole Miss, Wake Forest. Uh, I think he was getting looks from Georgia and, and Memphis. I think was in there as well. So he's a talented kid. But yeah, he'll he'll need to, to be developed. But the good thing is he's got Manion, Lawrence, Lewis in front of him uh, to to guide and mold him uh, through that and. And he's got Jerry Stackhouse <laughs> as his coach to to build him into uh, a better player. So, yeah, nothing – I mean, no no real impact this year, I don't think. I think he'll play, uh, though. But, I, think he'll be, I think he'll be a factor at points, kind of like Lewis was last year, but maybe not to that same effect. But, yeah, I don't think he'll be, like, the backcourt guy this year. Like you mentioned, he's got guys in front of him. It's hard for me to know exactly what his ceiling is, though, because I never saw him fully healthy. I think I saw him close to it. But you never know where the explosiveness is and such. And I, I don't think you do either, just because we haven't seen him healthy in years fully. So it'll be exciting for him to be 100% for once. Yeah, he's a combo guard, right? He can play the one, he can play the two. And I think Stackhouse likes that about him. They'll, they'll be able to kind of mix and match with him uh, with those other guards. So, yeah, excited. Uh, but, you know, it, it'll take some time, I think, with West. All right, let's get to the next one here. All right, Buff Door. What must Vanderbilt do in the non-conference to be positioned to make the NCAA tournament? Joey, we've uh, we've hinted at this. I think what did you say? Ten and three, something like that. Yeah, ten and three, yeah, eleven 10, and ten and three. Yeah, and, and I think we agreed. I mean, it, you know, to make a long answer short, do better than last year. <laughs> I mean, you know, you Not just can't. Yeah, I mean, well, we say that, Joey. You know, Greensboro, I think, finished 117 in the net last year. That that won't be a cupcake. Uh, now, the first three of the first four will be Presbyterian, Upstate, and Central Arkansas. I mean, if they're well, losing – the on Billy. <laughs> but in all honesty, Joey. Yeah, correct. You know, it, it's never easy uh, in, in, in college basketball. But, you know, you look at some of their non-conference games, NC State, in Vegas, that's a big one. Uh, BYU, Arizona State, whoever they play there, that's going to be a big one. Boston College at home. I keep staring that one down on this schedule I've got here, and you know, say that's going to be a big one, right? That that could that could be a huge swing opportunity. San Francisco. I mean, <laughs> San Francisco is always kind of a spicy team. Uh, Texas Tech, kind of a down year, right? Or coming off a down year last year. 
Uh, we've talked about it. Memphis uh, in Memphis on a Saturday. So some golden opportunities, Joey, uh, in terms of what they have to do. I mean, we, we said it, right? Nine to ten wins, preferably ten. And if you can get to 11, you're, you're, you're sitting golden. Yeah, I think they have to get the net up and they have to get double-digit wins. That's kind of my path here. I think 10 puts them in a spot to where they're going to have to maybe go a little over 500 in SEC play. They probably get got to get to 20 wins if that's the case. If they can get to 11 wins, that puts them at three or four wins against teams that are probably in the top 100 of the net. So that helps their rankings out a little bit. And you maybe not, don't have to get to 20 wins if that's the case. So I'm really interested to see here kind of how this plays out. But, Billy, I think you, we're kind of in the same realm of – 9, 10, 11 wins. I think 9 hurts them a little bit. 10 is kind of par. 11, I think you're in really good shape. Yeah, Joey, you mentioned the net. I mean, that's the key criteria here. The net includes more components than just winning percentage, right? It it takes into account strength of schedule, uh, location of the game, scoring margin, net offensive and defensive efficiency, right? Those those types of numbers, I mean, it's different than RPI. And the quality of your wins and losses, that is similar. Uh, so there are components of the net that are similar to the RPI, but those offensive and, deficiency and defensive efficiency numbers um, and scoring margin are going to be huge to watch this season. I mean, Stackhouse at SEC Media Days, Joey, you asked him about it. He made it pretty clear that they have shifted uh, their, their approach to the non-conference games. Uh, and he said they've been forced to do it. A little bit. Do what the there, Romans there's, do, Billy. There's, yeah, there, there's parody now. Do what the Romans do. Um, Beat the you know, hell out of everybody. If you're up with a 20-point lead, you can't put your guys in at the end of the bench. You know, you have to try to maintain that 20-point lead. That's the reality of how it's weighed with the different rankings and things like that. We're going to finish games. That's what Stackhouse said. Um, and he also said they're going to beat the hell out of everybody. <laughs> so, I mean – you're going to see, like those first four games, Joey, you could see some blowouts from Vanderbilt. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit close to a 100-burger. Um, and good on them. I mean, do as the Romans do. Stackhouse said it. They have to do that. So kind of a second part of that of that question is, is a bad loss more damaging to the resume than a good win is beneficial? Yeah. I mean, it, last year showed you that, I think. <laughs> you know, I mean, they had plenty of – yeah, they had plenty of good wins. They beat Tennessee. They beat Mississippi State. They beat Auburn. Uh, but it, they look at the whole season. I mean, it, it's not you know, it's not about your last fifteen games. This is about the entire body of work. So, I mean, Joe, you, uh, the bad loss you saw at Grambling and Southern Miss. Yeah, I mean, th- th- those were the killers last year. So, yeah, I mean, I would say yes to answer that. But they've changed their approach, Joey. And according to Stackhouse, they're going to beat the hell out of these non-conference teams. Yeah, they they can't lose a bad game again, especially with – I think they'll have less margin for error this year than maybe they have even in years past, and that's a Clark mm-hmm. is. But with their schedule, they're not going to have as many opportunities to get big wins. Thus, you have to win when you're supposed to win. You can't have the net killed early because it's going to, it's going to be difficult for them, frankly, to boost their net from 79. So any chance you can get to inch away at that is huge. And if you fall 10 spots in December, that's not good. And that's something that Vanderbilt's really going to struggle to bounce back from. It's a lot easier to go down than up in the net and feels like that to me. 
All right, Joey, last one before we wrap it up here. From SR Kane, what have you heard from embedded moles? I love that, that term there. How the team is coming together. Uh, again, we're not there. We have not been able to get into practice. Um, of course, we'll talk to Stack sometime in the next couple of weeks here. We'll have a lot more. Um, I've heard Tyron Lawrence and Ezra Mignon are back and that uh, they've got good chemistry, especially uh, according to you and, and their quotes at SEC Media Days, Joey. Um, but no, all joking aside, I don't really, I mean, embedded moles, I don't really have any inside information. Mr. Joey Dwyer would have your inside information. I think they feel pretty good about what they have. It always varies depending on the person. You hear some people saying that they're not awesome and that they don't love what they have, but you hear from Stack and he says he, he loves what he has. So it's interesting to me. There's a lot of variance in opinion on this team, and that's kind of how I think of this team as a team with a lot of variance. I don't know that it's easy to tell at this point. I mean, West Virginia, they played, but West Virginia didn't have Raekwon Battle, and I don't know how good they're going to be without Raekwon Battle now that he didn't get his waiver. Jesse Edwards felt like he uh, did some things that Vanderbilt wouldn't have liked for him to do on Saturday. So I think there's a lot of questions here still. I think the backcourt's the given, like you said, but there's a lot up in the air. I think they like Venon Lubin a lot. They like Rivera Torres a lot. <clears throat> but, man, there's a lot to be lots to be solved here, and I don't think – I think more of what I get from fall practices and summer practices is just how the rotation shaping out who looks to have been better. It's really hard to tell if they're going to be a great team based on them playing against themselves for two months. So that's kind of where I sit at. I think there's a lot of variance in opinion. Um, some people think they're going to be awesome. Some people think they're going to be bottom of the league again. So we'll see, Billy. There's not a overflowing confidence coming out of there like there was with the football program this year, but it doesn't always have to be that way. I mean, you can still win games and get better throughout the course of a season. And also there's a lot of people who believe as well. So I wouldn't write them off. I also wouldn't say they're going to go to the sweet 16 if they played this weekend and everybody was at their current state though. So we'll see Billy. I'm not hundred percent sure the embedded moles are doing a great job. I love it but it's hard to take away stuff at this point. Even if we were at practice every day, I'm at Lipscomb practice more than I care to admit. Uh, and I still don't know really what they're going to be. I voted on the preseason poll and I don't, I'm not super confident in that pick anyway. That's the thing in, in today's day and age of college basketball, you do not know. You, you just don't. I mean, who would have thought a team like FAU coming into last season would be a final four team. All right, there's so much movement in the portal, even more so in college basketball than college football, because it's a brand new roster for most of these teams every year. And that's the case for Vanderbilt this year. I mean, you could say it. I mean, this is a brand new team. And we, we, we talked about the, the losses last year, Joey. You lost Liam Robbins. Uh, you lost Jordan Wright. You lost Studi, Trey Thomas, all those guys. It's a brand new team. I mean, you now, it's the same backcourt, essentially, uh, but, you know, brand new frontcourt and a lot of new newcomers uh, to this team. So it's it's going to be fun to watch. we got two weeks until Vanderbilt and Presbyterian uh, Tuesday, November the 7th. That is a 7 o'clock tip-off. So uh, we will be there. And then they play that next Friday against USC Upstate. So we'll see how Vanderbilt starts the season. But – 
Joey, we've got uh, baseball stuff. We, we got to head over to Tim Corbin's availability. Uh, Clark Lee is talking to the media today ahead of Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, baseball will be training throughout the week. And again, Wake Forest scrimmage on Saturday. Hopefully it's good weather. We will be there. Uh, and then we'll probably get creative with, with uh, some of our content uh, for Ole Miss that night. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we, we will not be going down to Oxford, uh, un, un, unfortunately. It'd be a fun trip, but not able to make it happen. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get down to Oxford eventually. But for Joey Dwyer, I'm Billy Derrick. And uh, some last words on, uh, on this podcast. I always forget the close, Joey. Uh, this podcast has always been free, and we plan for it to be free. So here's how you can help keep it that way. Give the podcast a review and a five-star rating. That helps us get noticed. If you're listening and haven't subscribed to VandySports.com yet, you can get all the Joey Dwyer nuggets and scoops. It's $99 a year and $9.99 a month. It helps us tremendously. Subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel. Last-minute thoughts, pregame, postgame shows, all kinds of content. Go subscribe. Finally, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, email Chris Lee at chrislee70 at gmail.com. For Joey Dwyer, I'm Billy Derek. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again soon with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast.